Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 25. Today in the show, we're joined by Mike Hunsucker and Sean Lucknell of Heartland Bowhunter. And we're going to be discussing how to film and photograph your hunts like a pro. Lots to learn in this episode, so settle in and enjoy. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. Today in the show, we've got a pair of great guests. These are two guys I've really enjoyed spending time with over the years, and in addition to being great hunters, they are also two of the most skilled people you'll find in the hunting industry with a camera in hand. Welcome to the show, Mike and Sean. Hey, man. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Yeah, we're, we're excited to talk to you guys, and uh, I know that you know, the three of us have chatted a lot in the past, but I'm excited to be able to dive into some different topics today for the podcast. Now, as I mentioned, you guys are avid hunters, photographers, videographers, and we're hoping to talk to you guys today about all three of those things. But to kick things off, could maybe Sean maybe start out here with telling us a little bit about what you and Mike do at Heartland Bowhunter and Mammoth? Uh, Mike and I are owners in both companies, Heartland Bowhunter and Mammoth uh, Media. And uh, we've been a part of each since the beginning. Um, basically, I think around eight years for Heartland Bow Hunter, and then I want to say four years for Mammoth, or three years. I'm sorry. So, so we've been around for a little bit, and we kind of, kind of got the hang of the game for for the most part in what we're doing. We've got a good system down, and both companies are growing very rapidly, especially in the outdoor industry. So, things are going very well. That is awesome. I, I'd concur from everything I've seen. It seems like uh, you guys are doing things the right way. Now, Mike, for maybe those who aren't familiar with Heartland Bowhunter, can you give us a super high level of what the show is all about, where it can be found, you know, what's your what's your deal? Yeah, we're currently filming for our eighth season of the show, so we've been around a little while. And uh, our show is, is something that's a little bit different than what's out there, and we've, that's kind of how we have separated ourselves is, um is by our show being a little bit different. And when we started out, we noticed that there was a opportunity for there to be a really well-produced hunting show. There wasn't a whole lot of great content out there, and that's changed a lot over the past, you know, three or four years. But um, at the time, nobody was really putting in the uh, the kind of quality that we would that we had stri- strived to do. So, um, you know, we saw an opportunity there and kind of ran with it. And our show, you know, we focused more on obviously all on bow hunting, but we focused more on you know, telling the story and all the aspects surrounding bow hunting about what bow hunting really is, because it's not about just the kill and just uh, going in and killing a buck every time you go and sit in the stand. So and that's how a lot of shows made it look. So we wanted to tell the real story and, and have it be a little more, a little more real, a little more raw. Yeah. I, um, I think you guys have done a really good job of that. And as you know, I've been a big fan of the show. And I think like you said, Mike, you guys really were one of the first to focus on that production value for a TV show. And since then, a lot of people have jumped on that that bandwagon, obviously. But I think uh, for sure you guys were the first to really focus on that. And it really, really changed the entire industry. I think uh, we've seen just a total revolution in how hunting TV and DVDs are produced. So I think there's a lot of 
a lot of people out there that enjoy hunting TV today that have you guys to thank for how good some of it's becoming. So props to you guys. Well, that's flattering. I don't think we're going to take credit for all that, but uh, it definitely has gotten better. The, the hunting TV show side has definitely, definitely stepped up the game in the past few years. Yeah. A lot of good shows now. Definitely. So I want to dive more into that. Um, but before that, we usually like to kick off our show on a little bit of a lighter note with a curveball question of sorts. And Dan is usually our man to do that. So my friend over there, Dan, what kind of crazy question do you have for the guys today? You know, we just want to make your guys' experience with the Wired to Hunt podcast very comfortable, laid back, maybe, you know, remove a little bit of tension out of your life. So we're going to ask, we're going to ask, you know, uh, a real quick question here. And it's basically a two-parter, all right? It's Friday. You're, you know, you're at a bar and, you know, there's a karaoke machine. You know, I asked Donnie Vincent this when he was on as well, but I'm adding a second part to this. Okay, because no one can really go up completely sober and sing karaoke. Um, so you got to take one shot of your choice. And what song are you singing when you go up there? <laughs> Mike, go oh, ahead. Man. <laughs> uh, I'm uh, obviously a really good singer, as you guys know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a tough one. I'd have to... Have to definitely do something about the Red Hot Chili Peppers, probably maybe Californication. And nice. and your and your and your Liquid Courage, your shot of Liquid Courage. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't know what that would be. Maybe some tequila or something. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds dangerous. That'll loosen you up. Uh, yeah, because I don't drink. I uh, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even take a shot. I'd just go up there sober. But um, <laughs> no, it's a joke. I drink. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say that made some of our past experiences confusing for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd have to take a shot of Jack, I'm sure. Um, and then uh, probably go up there and start off some Brooks and Dunn, Boots and Boogie. <laughs> wow. I, that, sh- that song right there would get the crowd rocking and rolling. Exactly. I would love to see that. The classic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be a horrible experience to hear either one of us sing karaoke. I promise you that. <laughs> I was actually at a karaoke uh, bar a few weeks ago with my girlfriend, and for her class reunion, and there was a bunch of people singing karaoke. And I told her, I, I don't even think that I can do it. Um, heavily intoxicated, so <laughs> I, yeah, I don't ever anticipate me ever doing that. Period. <laughs> I'll I'll tell you what. There's um. There's definitely some bad karaoke going on at bars, but I think I've got it all topped when maybe three or four weeks ago, I went to a campground. It might have been Labor Day weekend, I think, and my wife's family and some friends every once in a while go to this campground down in southern Michigan. It's a pretty pretty hillbilly affair, and at the campground, they got an old barn, and they had karaoke set up that Friday night, and that was the most memorable karaoke event I've ever seen in my life. We're talking some real quality individuals. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Yeah, it was uh, it was an experience. So now, Dan, I know last time you had, when we had asked this question last time, you had a pretty good song picked up, but I can't remember what it was. What was that? It was David Allen Coe, You Don't Have to Call Me Darling. Yes. <laughs> that's, my, that's my go-to song. It's hard to go wrong with that. And I think uh, for me, it's I'd, I still got to go with Toby Keith, uh, courtesy of Red, White, and Blue. That's the uh, same for me. I think if I had to go with any song for karaoke, that'd be the one. And what's your shot? Ah, that for me, <laughs> I 
I take some pretty girly shots, <laughs> so I'm not going <laughs> to... Fuzzy, fuzzy navel yeah. or sex on the beach? <laughs> I'll go with just uh, straight vodka, something, a cheap vodka would probably be what I'd do. Something mm-hmm. to get amp, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Dan? Jack, I'm running, right? I'm running with Jack, yeah. Yeah. All right, well... I guess we better watch out for uh, the next ATA or show or something. If the four of us end up at a karaoke bar, things could get weird. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, enough of all that. Uh, thank you, Dan, for the uh, good conversation starter there. You're welcome, Mark. <laughs> yep. Well done. Uh, that said, then, I did want to get into what we're actually here to talk about, which is deer. And I know you guys, Mike and Sean, have been super busy over the past month or so going all over the darn place. And I've heard you've been having some success. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your early season hunt so far. And maybe, Sean, if you want to kick us off, I'd love to hear more about your North Dakota whitetail that uh, we posted about on Wired to Hunt. But let's hear a little more about that story, if you don't mind. Um, yeah, we, we, uh, we go to North Dakota every year. Um, it's just a tradition that we've done, I would say, for like five, six years now. Um, and... Basically, it, you know, we, we go up there with Nate now a few days early and we'll start running trail cameras and stuff. And we check them all basically the day that we're about to hunt or the day before that. And it's really just a crapshoot as to what's going to show up. And this particular bucket that I ended up shooting, we'd only, uh, we'd only gotten, I think, one, maybe two trail camera pictures of them. So after that, we all um, we draw numbers to see who can pick the stand first, pick whichever stand they want up first. And I drew the third pill, so uh, that was the third one to pick the spot where where I wanted to hunt. And really, it was just a a lucky lucky pick and one of the leftover stands. And I went there, and you know, we we really weren't seeing hardly any deer. I, I want to say that that might have been the only buck that I had seen all week. And Mike and I, um, we'd been sitting in the tree all night, and it was really just the last five minutes of the hunt, and I was pretty much ready to pack it up. And we <laughs> we heard a, a stick snap or something, and I looked right down the tree line, and he was already at, like, 20 yards, and we didn't even say anything to each other. We just, you know, go about our motions to <laughs> get the kill. And I got my bow, and he had the camera going, and Buck walked by, like, 13 yards and, and just stopped quartering away. I mean, it was picture perfect, and I shot him, um, entered through the liver and out the lungs, and he only, I think he went about 150 yards and piled up, so it was, it was a textbook hunt. It was pretty cool, man. Just, uh, it was actually kind of a slow year for us up there. Other than that, um, like I said, we just weren't seeing a ton of deer and got really lucky. (laughs) I think luck played into that a lot, so. That's awesome. I'm glad it, glad it worked yeah. out for you guys. I'll take luck yeah. anything. Yeah, no kidding. Absolutely. I'd rather take luck than, than scale any day. Now, it seems like you guys, usually someone in your group, at least one person usually kills a buck on that trip for you guys. Are you seeing, though, or are you guys having a lot of encounters down there, or is it kind of not a lot of deer, but usually the ones you do see end up being a good one for one guy at least? Or what's it like, the experience down there, as far as big buck sightings go? Yeah, um, typically you don't see a whole lot of deer. I mean, there's not high deer numbers, and we're hunting. Um, I, I I don't know. This is really just a huge guess, but I would say per square mile, there's only there's only a few deer, maybe three or four, if that. Um, and you, you'll get bucks on trail camera at one spot this time of year, and you're even getting that same buck 
a mile or two away from there. Like they, they actually travel quite a bit more than you would think, and they're they all bed in cattail flues. They don't they don't bed in the, the few trees that are there. So there, there's very there's very few deer, and there's the ones you do see are are pretty big. I mean, a, a three year old deer could easily go 160. Like that. I mean, they have a lot of food there. Um, but it just depends on if they make it through the winter. The winters play a huge toll on them. So you hope for a, a very uh, very light winter and or a very warm winter, and they typically put on a lot of inches, and you'll have a lot more big deer. Nice. Now, what's the biggest deer you guys, someone from the group, has taken out there? Uh, that would be Mike. Yeah, I shot a I shot like a 175 up there the very first year, very first hunt we ever went up there. Wow. It's, it was kind of kind of a crazy deal. Nate's had that lodge for seven or eight years now, and um, he's obviously a, a pretty avid bow hunter. But he uh, he you know mainly he bought the lodge at the waterfowl lodge, so um, they lease a ton of ground to you know make sure they have plenty of ground to hunt waterfowl on. And being a bow hunter, he's like, man, they feathers hunt a little bit too. And he was like, man, I've jumped some really really big bucks in these saloons, these cattail saloons. He's like, you got to come up here and hunt sometime. And, you got an early season opener. You can maybe kill him in velvet or whatever. And so, uh, yeah, we, we finally made the trip up there. And the very first night, I shot the biggest buck of my life. So, did he invite you uh, back? Pretty, pretty crazy. Oh yeah, yeah, he invited <laughs> us back. Yep, yeah, we went back up there. And actually, we killed quite a few good ones. I killed a, I killed like a mid sixties buck up there two or three years ago. And uh, then Nate last year, Nate killed a mid sixties buck last year up there. So, um, we killed a handful of really good ones. Uh, Mike, you might kind of—I I wasn't there the very first year when Mike shot that buck. Um, I didn't go on that trip, but that year was a lot different than any of the other years because of the drought, right? There's a lot. Yeah, of yeah. The, I shot that buck over a water hole actually, and um, it was super, super dry and hot that year, and so the deer were really just kind of, kind of keen on this water. And actually, um, it, it hasn't been like that at all ever since. I mean, it never again was like that. So. Uh, but it was still obviously still really good every year. Yeah, that always ends up being one of uh, one of my favorite episodes you guys have every year. It seems like that's just a, just a really fun hunt you guys go on and everyone getting together and the camaraderie and stuff. I think uh, makes for what looks like a really a really cool hunt. So glad it worked out for this year, Sean. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, and Mike, what about you? I think uh, you've had some success. Uh, as well, I saw a couple of pretty good pictures. What's what's been happening for you so far this this fall? Yeah, I mean overall we've had a, just an unbelievable early season, probably our best ever. And um, I uh, I started things off up in North Dakota with those guys, and I was filming Sean actually, so I didn't have a tag. But uh, after that, I left and went to uh, Deer Meadows in Nebraska for a mule deer hunt. And this year, Nebraska opened their season September first for the first time. Uh, it's, it's always been September 15th previously, so it was a really exciting hunt because we knew we had an opportunity to get a big velvet muley, and uh, I ended up shooting a really, really good buck. It was super old. It was kind of a kind of a weird, weird deal, man. This deer was so old. He had like when we when we caped him out and everything and checked his teeth, he had like no teeth at all, and I think that was affecting you know his health because he wasn't able to eat a whole lot. I guess he was super, super skinny, really small body. Um, definitely wouldn't have made it through the winter, so it was a great buck to shoot. And uh, those hunts are always just a blast. It's, that spot and stalk hunting is just uh, something to be 
you got to experience it. It's just it's just a huge, huge adrenaline rush. That's awesome. Yeah, I know. Um, I've experienced some of that with elk hunting, but Dan actually went on his first spot and stalk mule deer hunt out in Nebraska too this year. Um, but he did not have any success. So do you have a tip for Dan, Mike, that uh, maybe <laughs> might help him on next year's hunt? I'll take it. Hey, hey, you got to be where the where the big bucks are if you want to kill them. <laughs> no, it, it's tough. It's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's so much different than what we're used to hunting, you know, being in a tree stand and uh, it's just completely different. I mean, you got to, you have only a couple seconds to make a decision about your shot choice and, you know, how quick to shoot and, um, you know, finding them sometimes can be the hard hard part too, you know, yeah. uh, figuring out where they are. But they do travel a lot. It's not like the whitetail. They don't have a really small home range. So. Well, yeah, I mean, I ran into I ran into a ton of deer out there uh, in antelope, uh, no no mule deer bucks. You know, I ran into, a, you know, a pretty good whitetail, a couple whitetails and um, tons of does, but no, uh, no, no mule deer bucks. Yeah, that's uh... – that's the other thing that I kind of noticed is it's amazing just the areas, how different they are. Um, you know, you can you could be in one area and have a real high deer density of, of mule deer, and then, you know, a mile away you can have hardly any. So um, it just really kind of depends. Sounds like definitely something I want to give a shot sometime here soon. I would love to uh, to get out there and try my hand after some muleys. And I guess while we're on the topic of early season updates, for all the listeners out there, I, I'll give you all a quick update on my season so far because I actually got my first whitetail hunt of the year in just this past weekend down in southern Ohio. And fortunately did not have any buck sightings. Um, saw a bunch of does, but none of the big boys. Um, but many of you probably do remember me talking about a buck I called Jawbreaker some number of times last year and and we've got him on trail camera quite a bit in September including some daylight photos last week so it didn't work out yesterday yeah Sunday and Saturday but hoping to get back down there in a couple weeks and get take another stab at him so that's all for me but Michigan opens here tomorrow and uh for you too Dan right uh yeah tomorrow's uh Iowa's opener man yeah it's been uh it's it's been slow Sean and I were up north at the farm this weekend and just did not see much activity at all. It's been hot and uh, the beans are all turned, you know, and so the deer aren't, aren't keen on those anymore. So it's just gotten pretty pretty difficult to hunt. So are you guys focusing on uh, on trying to knock down some does right now? Oh, we Ooh, were. Yeah. We couldn't even do that. <laughs> they, did, I mean, like, it, it was horrible. We, we, uh, we shot, well, Trent, was with us he shot a doe the very first night and then we i think mike and i sat five times and never even had a doe in range it was horrible Yikes. wow has and your area has your area then been affected uh pretty heavily by the ehd um it it had been two years ago and we last year um was a little bit dry but the deer were really keyed in on our farm i guess it's it, it's 865 acres, and I I want to say that there was two to, a herd of two to three hundred deer at least on there, and we I think we shot twelve or thirteen does off of it last year. Wow! And by uh, late season, there was still a ton of does. So I mean, nothing killed them off. This year, we just had a ton of rain, so I think they're far more spread out. Maybe not even on the really on the property as much anymore. Um, they probably moved off to other 
other neighboring properties because there's food everywhere. And then a combination with the heat, I just don't think that they're moving much at all. Yeah. Is uh, there's a big cold front coming across for us right now here in Michigan, and uh, we're getting we've got one right now, and then a really big one's hitting for us Thursday night and Friday morning. Do you guys have that happening for you guys soon too? Yeah, um, it's supposed to rain. I think there's an eighty percent chance of rain tomorrow and Thursday, so the cold front's coming, and that's I'm really excited for it. We had south winds for like two weeks, it seems like. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm, I am absolutely stoked for this front to hit, and uh, I think Friday and Saturday are going to be dynamite here in Michigan. So I'm, fingers are crossed. I feel a, I feel a big buck encounter coming. So there you go. Yeah, I think it'll, I think it'll really change things a lot. Yep, yep. Well, good deal. Glad to hear that I you sure guys. So. Yeah, glad to hear you guys had a had a good early season so far, and and I hope that uh, the luck continues. Um, with that all said, though. I guess we should probably get into the meat and potatoes of what we really want to focus on, which is capturing the hunt, whether that be on film or in photo. And from what I've seen, it seems like more than ever, hunters are bringing cameras into the woods with them to record their hunts and those memories along the way. And with this being the case, you know, there's been a huge demand recently for information on, you know, how to film your own hunts or how to photograph, you know, your deer, your trophy, like a pro. And, you know, given what you guys have done at Heartland Bowhunter and the work I've seen you do, um, it seems like there's no one better to discuss this topic with. So with that being the case, I was thinking maybe we start on the topic of video. And maybe I'll start with Mike by asking you this. Um, For someone who's interested in starting to film their hunts, you know, what do you think that guy or girl needs when it comes to equipment? What's the bare bones to to get started filming uh, for your own enjoyment? Uh, yeah, I mean that's the that's the beauty of it is you know if you're filming for your own enjoyment there really aren't any requirements uh, and it's never been a better time than than now or an easier time for somebody who's wanting to film. I mean the camp the, the technology and the the prices of equipment have just changed so much in the past few years that it's just really really easy to get started anywhere from you know if you just go buy a, a GoPro or a Garmin Verb or a you know point of view style camera you can strap to your bow and or wear on your head and go out there, or, you know, if you want to get a little more serious and actually get a, uh, you know, video camera and a tree arm. I mean, there's so many options for tree arms now, and just uh, tons of options out there now compared to what they used to be. Yeah, I've definitely noticed the same thing. Is there any uh, any particular, you know, lots of times people want specific gear. They want to know what the exact item is to get. Any recommendations on a beginner camcorder or beginner camera arm or anything like that? You know, I, I'm not real well-versed when it comes to the smaller handy cam style video cameras, but um, I know Sony makes uh, several different, you know, tons of there's some different options. What we always tell people is, you know, make sure if you're going to get a video camera, make sure you get one that has the manual focus capability uh, because filming hunts is just really – it's really tough to do with with the camera and autofocus, you know, focuses on all the trees and the branches and uh, that type of stuff. So that's what I always tell people, you know, to do when they're, when they're looking, looking at a video camera. But also a lot of times I'll recommend uh, people looking into getting a DSLR because now they've, they've advanced so, so far that they, uh, they take really, really good video and you can take pictures. So it's kind of two cameras in one. And a lot of guys, I tell them, you know, that, that makes it easier to justify, uh, uh, talking their wife into letting them get in the camera as if they could say, hey, well, I can take pictures of the, the family and all that stuff too. So <laughs> <laughs> That's there. the move I played and it worked. 
There you go. That's awesome. Now, when it comes to filming your hunts with a DSLR, it's kind of going off on a tangent here, um, but I've always thought that'd be a pretty big challenge, uh, but I know that you know people are doing it, and you guys too. Um, huh. Any tips on how to pull that off? It's not it's not like overly challenging actually they're pretty intuitive and easy to use the the uh the tough part is there's no one lens that really works for everything um then you know there's a couple different lenses that are pretty versatile like the Sigma and Tamron they both make a lens that's like an 18 to 250 or 270 and uh, so they have a pretty good range you know they can they can chew wide they can also get you know tight and zoom for near far away but they're uh, they're pretty limited when it comes to low light capability. So there's there isn't one perfect lens out there. That's what's what unfortunate. So you end up either switching lenses or uh, sacrificing low light capability for versatility. Um, but another thing too that uh, may be a little more difficult too is exposing the shot. You know, shooting on manual exposure as opposed to auto exposure, like a lot of the video cameras. Um, the video cameras are going to do do most of the work for you. But if you're shooting on DSLR, a lot of that stuff needs to be controlled manually. So, um, you know, it may not be the the best option for somebody who knows nothing about filming or about cameras, but um, a lot of people that have used DSLRs before or SLRs in the past, you know, they, they know nothing about photography. It just ties right over into, into the video side. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a, a good idea to, to think about for a lot of guys. If, if you do know some of those basics about DSLRs, they do take some incredible video footage, that's for sure. So uh, how about for you, Sean, sticking to the topic of the guy that's new to filming, any advice just on the purely you know, actually doing it? Any advice for that guy on you know, what to be thinking about when he's filming or how he should be setting up? Anything along those lines? Um, a tree arm is mandatory, I think, for um, filming out of a tree and then on the ground, obviously, a tripod, whether it's a cheap one or not, it just has something. And then um, I think the the other important things to remember are just three things, which are uh, just your exposure, make sure you're exposed for the shot, your framing, just make sure that whatever you're filming is at least in the frame as far as an animal or whatever it might be, and then focus, just make sure it's all in focus. And if you can remember those three things, you're, you're going to have something pretty solid at least uh, to go back and look at rather than, you know, missing it or not, you know, not having it in the frame or completely out of focus, then, then the the, uh, the film's kind of ruined at that point. But, um, yeah, if you can remember those three things, I think uh, you'll have a pretty solid video. Cool. Now, now Mike, um, you guys obviously are in a different boat than most people. Um, you guys rely on good footage and um, – uh, and having a cameraman with the hunter, you know, to produce your show and whatnot. But as far as tree stand setup specifically is concerned, what, um, any, any tips or advice for setting up a, uh, a tree stand with a cameraman stand above it or to the side that you can give our listeners? Yeah, we always, uh, one thing that we, you know, every tree is different, but what we try to do is, uh, we tend to try to get over the right shoulder of uh, of the hunter if he's a right-handed guy. So you're you're shooting kind of right over his shoulder down down the bow, and you can get kind of the, the best angle that way. Um, and, and usually, what Sean and I do is we'll put the base of the stand about the base of the camera cameraman stand about the height of the seat of the hunter stand. So you get up there a little bit above him, um, 
that way, you know, you can, you can film over his head. He's not going to be blocking the view, um, but you're still relatively close, so you guys can communicate well um, and get some good footage that way. Cool. Now, what about, you know, if someone's trying to take things a little more seriously, um, maybe for the guy that's at the point now he's interested in getting to the industry, wants to start selling some footage, or maybe he's joined a show or starting his own show or a web show or something. If I, you know, if this guy was going to start upgrading his equipment, what would you say is the most important thing to upgrade? Um, any recommendations for that? Maybe to Sean? Um, it just depends if you're filming with a DSLR. Uh, a lot of your money is going to go into lenses. Lenses are extremely important. Um, we used to always, we started off kind of focusing on, on the body and then we'd always, you know, kind of, we'd have stock lenses for the most part because we didn't really know much about it. But once we started to learn a lot more and see the difference in better glass for your lenses, that's where, uh, that's where we started to spend our money and that's where I think, um, people should focus on, um, we, I think we have three primary lenses that we, that we use all the time and, um, yeah, I just think that's where, that's where you, your money's well spent at. And um, trying to think of anything else. That, audio, audio is very important. People think that you don't necessarily need wireless mics and stuff like that, and I think they're extremely important. I, I wouldn't even feel comfortable filming a hunt without one anymore. If I don't, if like we forget it or we're out of batteries, we literally have none left. It's just, it's almost like a wasted hunt because without good audio. I mean, really, the only thing you have left to do is put music over it, and then, I don't know, it's a, it's a pretty pretty large key element um, to the hunt, and uh, producing a good good shot or a good film or episode, whatever you're filming. Definitely, definitely. Now, Sean, uh, elaborating on that just a little bit, um, what do you think, I mean, would you recommend a shotgun mic? Um, over maybe a, a wireless mic to on wearing on the hunter, or um, is does one kind of trump the other? Um, I would pro. Hmm, that's a tough one. Um, probably a wireless if you're just filming one person. Um, if you're filming a group of people, you might want a, a high-end shotgun mic because you can pick up everyone fairly well as long as it's not super windy. Um, we run Sennheiser wireless mics. I think they're the the E300 model, um, I think they run for about $500, and that's kind of where that's where people I think get thrown off. They're like, "Oh, I don't need to spend $500 on something like that. It's not that's worthless, you know. It's, it really doesn't add that much, but it really does actually." Uh, I'm not sure what everyone run. I mean, I, I know there's a lot of people that have different theories and run different audio systems, but that, that's what we run, and we've been. I feel like we've done pretty well with just that. That set up, and we run Sennheiser shotgun mics as well on our uh, on our DSLRs too. So it just depends on the situation, but for the most part, I'd probably say I'd be more comfortable having the person wearing a wireless most of the time. Gotcha, gotcha. So I guess taking the next step when we're talking about getting quality footage for that guy, that's a guy or girl who's trying to really take it to that next level. Of course, people usually tend to think that the most important thing is the gear, right? It always seems to be if I get the fancy camera, I'm going to have awesome footage and I'm going to be a pro. But really, it's usually the person behind the camera from what I've experienced. So I'd like to hear from both of you guys on this, but maybe Mike first. You know, what kind of things can someone do, you know, actually when it comes to 
know, setting your camera properly or actual technique when using the camera to, to get that high quality footage or story um, that really can get you above into that next level? Um, you know, it's, it's something that, that uh, I think that we always you know, recommend people do is, you know, make sure that they're using the best, best stuff possible. Um, and it all really kind of depends on your budget, I guess, uh, is what I would say is, um, you know, it, people that are doing it for more, you know, more serious reasons can actually justify spending more money on it. Um, but you know, it doesn't take, it doesn't take the $10,000 camera to, to get the best footage. You know, like I said, those DSLRs will shoot great footage and we've used, used them a lot in, in some of our shows. So, um, you know, I think that what has helped us kind of take that next step when we initially got started filming and started putting together a TV show was, was just actually like paying attention to the camera settings and running them manually. Um, the camera can only do so much in auto, you know, and, and if you kind of use that as a crutch, then, then it's, you know, you're always going to have just mediocre footage. Uh, to take that next step, you really got to gotta run things manually. Um, and that means you know, controlling the exposure manually, uh, monitoring the audio, you know, just pay attention to all the details because it's just each each little detail is a different aspect of the, the video that makes it all, you know, feel right when it comes together. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Sean, you had mentioned a little bit about framing and stuff earlier. Do you have any other advice when it comes to technique or anything along those lines that, that people should start paying attention to? Your storyline. Um I was once told, or we were once told, um, from the get, like in the very beginning when we were trying to learn um, how to film a hunt, um, that you wanna you wanna film your hunt as a cameraman and not an editor, and I think that's false. I think I think you film your hunt thinking about how the story is going to be cut up and how it's going to make sense. Um, so as a field producer, you need to be out there getting the shot to tie the story together and thinking about how that story is all going to be told um, when it goes to production. Because if you have a missing element, then then it's in your editor's hands trying to figure out how he's going to tell the story when he doesn't have something there to work with or an element to, to show that the story was, was uh, you know, legit or how you just... Just storytelling. I think that's, that's, that's something that people really need to think about when they're uh, out there trying to uh, produce something in the field. That's great advice. Now, um, what do you think? And I'll let uh, I'll let Sean you start again, and I'd like to hear uh, Mike's opinion on this as well. But um, what do you think the biggest mistake um, hunters make while they're out in the woods filming? Hmm, that's a that's a good question. Um, probably not telling the story. Yeah. Um, I, I think that a lot of people, even ourselves, you'll get into a grind, especially if you're not having su- successful hunts and you'll, you'll tell a great story from the get go. And then uh, four or five days into the hunt, you, maybe you're not seeing any deer. It just becomes repetitive. You, you stop filming. You might, you might just film the hunt itself and nothing in between that or anything to tie anything together. So, I think you gotta you gotta remain focused and try to film as much as you possibly can. And if if things aren't going well or you're just not you're not seeing deer or I don't know maybe you 
maybe you, you blew out a tire or your, your bow blew up or something happened or you broke a string or something like that, you, know, you, you might get down about that, but you need to capture that stuff to show, um, to show everyone just exactly what's going on and why this trip has turned, has taken a turn for the worse. I mean, that might not be the, uh, the style of your show, but at least have it there in case that's something you want to add in the story to, to tell your viewers. What about you, Mike? Something, uh, something somebody should really uh, take into consideration when they're, uh, when they're out there. Um, yeah, no, I like what Sean says. I mean, telling the story is huge and actually filming everything to help kind of tell that. Uh, I know when we first got started filming, we just literally filmed everything. So we had, had everything and now we have a better idea on what to do. But, um, I think, you know, just like I said earlier, people running the cameras and auto and stuff and, and not really, you're not really getting the full benefit of the, the camera and the technology if you do it that way. So take the time to learn the settings um, get really comfortable with the camera. And another thing that, that we didn't haven't mentioned yet, really, but is there's just so much information out there that, that people have access to, you know, between tutorials or inform, informational websites and, and everything. There's so many different options. So, um, you know, the sky's kind of the limit there. We've, we've Neither one of us went to film school or any sort of formal education. We were all self-taught. And, and uh, you know, I've, I've learned everything we know just by digging in and, and Spending the time researching. Yeah, and to kind of to kind of t- or just piggyback off what Mike said is, people will get intimidated, I think, by cameras and think that they're overly complicated, and they're really, really not. I mean, they're engineered to be user friendly. So, I mean, don't be afraid to to look these things up. I mean, everything is out there on the internet. Not just, I mean, like today, I was working on some stuff for my house. And I mean, I just any time that I don't know something, I just get online and research it, and that and that's all basically come from us trying to teach ourselves how to run cameras. So all the information is out there. Yeah, very true. Very true. Just and, go, just go to Google. Google, right, Mark? <laughs> yes, Google is the one to use. <laughs> <laughs> what about Bing? Ah, uh, come on now, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, taking a turn the other direction, you know, onto photography, this is probably something that even more hunters um, can relate to because maybe not everyone wants to film a hunt, but 99.9% of guys out there are definitely going to want to get some good photos of their deer after they have some success. So maybe starting on the gear side again, uh, Mike, any recommendations for a good beginner camera setup for someone just trying to take some nice trophy photos? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, like I said, the technology has come up so far in the past few years, um, but there's so many good options out there. Um, we're kind of married to the Canon brand on the, on the DSLR side of things, just because that's what we started using initially. And that's where we've invested all of our money in, uh, glass wise. So all of our lenses are Canon. Um, so everything we use is Canon. So we've kind of, we're kind of, uh, you know, fans of, of the Canon DSLRs. Um, and they make a variety of, of options. I mean, there's really, it's kind of overwhelming, actually, all the different options, um, whether it's from a T2i, T3i, or the T4i now. Um, those are all kind of under the Rebel name, I believe. And those cameras can all be purchased for, you know, in the six $600 range and, and under even. So um, those are great, great starter cameras. We shoot primarily, uh, when you're talking about DSLRs, we shoot primarily with the 5D Mark III. Uh, which is a little more pricey. Um, it's a couple thousand dollars. 
um, and it's a full frame camera. Uh, but it's not it's not necess- like a necessity for anybody um, that's just kind of getting started or whatever. So there's there's tons of different options to fit different price points. Um, and like I said, they're always coming out with new stuff. It seems like every other year they come out with a new camera, and so we're constantly upgrading and changing stuff and buying new lenses and different. <laughs> Evolving beast every every year seems like. You just use your uh, your iPhone six with the filter app. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, shoot, cell phone technology's come a long way too. They they all the uh, mounting brackets for your bow. You can mount your phone to your bow and film with it. You know, when when Sean and I first got started filming hunts, just messing around for fun, I duct taped the Sony handy cam to my stabilizer and was filming myself <laughs> shooting shooting stuff back in the back in the early days in high school. That's awesome. Yeah, um, it's funny. When I uh, killed my elk a few weeks back, I took photos with a DSLR and my iPhone, and I think I actually like my iPhone pictures better. So I don't know if that's saying something for the camera or saying something about how badly I use the DSLR. But <laughs> could be one that's of the kind two. of scary though for the the um, camera manufacturers because the cell phone technology is really really good and it's much easier to use. I think especially for the everyday consumer and it's replacing a lot of those cameras i'm sure so. yeah yeah it really is um although you know like you guys have talked about the manual functions and features that you can really take advantage of with the dslr if you know how to use them um, they can make a huge difference and uh, i know when i finally upgraded to a dslr um, partly based on one of your recommendations a number of years back i got the canon i think it's the 60d um, and love that camera. Um, gosh, it does make a huge difference in the stuff you can, the pictures you can capture. Um, but one of the, I think, parts of using a DSLR that maybe intimidates people is the fact that you have to use different lenses. Um, could maybe, you know, Sean, maybe could you tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, what someone needs to consider when it comes to picking a lens? Um, and is there any recommendation? Can someone get one lens to do it all for the average hunter or do you really need to have several? Um, I think it helps to have two. Um, I, there's a, there's a 21, uh, tw- I'm sorry, a 24 to 105 that's out that, um, does a pretty good job. Um, but I, I think if, if you're, I guess if you were just going to go the, uh, more inexpensive route and didn't care so much about your glass, you could go with a Tamron lens and, what what is that one mic that we have? Yeah, it's a, that's the lens I mentioned earlier. It's a, it's a eighteen to two seventy, and Sigma makes the eighteen to two fifty. Um, and so those lenses, like if you, I tell guys all the time, if you're going to buy one DSLR and one lens, um, you can spend about twelve hundred bucks and get a pretty solid setup. And um, you know, it's it's not an unbelievable quality glass, and it's not the best low light capabilities, but. Uh, you know, it, it, it will work. Uh, you just gotta, it's just, like I said, there's no perfect lens. So, you know, you, you, you give up something to gain something else. So you give up a little bit of low light capability to gain versatility, or you give up versatility to gain low light capability. And you go with a, with a fixed lens or a, uh, you know, a prime that's going to be like a 2.8 or a 1.4 or 1.6 or 1.8. I mean, the, the really, really good low light lenses. Yeah. Some of those things can make a big difference. Um, and that kind of ties in real nicely with the next thing I wanted to pick your brain about. Um, you know, Mike, for a guy that's got his first DSLR and he's trying to take some good pictures, there's a lot of settings to be mindful of. 
um, what are you know the one or two couple most important manual settings that a guy really needs to nail down to to utilize a DSLR properly? Could you tell us what those would be? Well, there's um, there's basically uh, see, there's several different things. There's there's going to be your white balance, um, which is your your color temperature. Um, there's presets on the camera which do really well, so you just kind of pick whichever looks good. There's ones for uh, cloudy, shade, sunny, incandescent, fluorescent, uh, different color temperatures. Um, and so that's that's important too. You don't you know you want to be uh, you want to be using the, or manually setting your white balance that way it's not automatically changing all the time. Um, and that's something that a camera has trouble doing in, in auto. So. Um, that that's one setting. Then you have several things that affect that affect your exposure, um, and that's your f-stop or your aperture or your iris, and that's what you see on all, the, all on all DSLR lenses. They have an f f rating. So um, you know the, the the better lenses, the higher quality lenses, they're going to be a fixed uh, fixed f-stop, and they're going to be like a 2.8 um, or less typically. Um, you get into the the camera and then the yeah, Sigma, the 18 to 250, 18 to 270 lenses, those are like a 3.5 to 5.6 or something like that. So, um, you know, the, the more you zoom in, the, the uh, further closed down the, the iris gets, and that let, allows less light, which means it's, you know, not as good to low light. So, um, so you have your f-stop, then you have your shutter speed, and then you have your ISO, um, and those are the three things that affect your exposure. Um and so getting, getting comfortable with those is, is key. I mean, like I said, it's kind of overwhelming at first if you look at it and try to dive into it. But the more you use it, the more you get comfortable with it, um, the better off you'll be. And with uh, the shutter speed, you know, you simply will just use that to to adjust for your exposure to, uh, once you have your aperture set to where you want it. And then ISO is, is similar to like a video camera that have the same thing. It's called gain. Um, and all it is is digital light enhancement. So it's just... You know, once once it's getting dark and there's not you know not much visibility on the camera and you need to need to brighten things up a little bit, it adds just little white pixels basically to the to the image and it makes it appear brighter, but it also decreases the quality. So um, that's kind of the last ditch resort. And you want to you want to mess with all the other settings and open your camera up you know wide open before you uh, start tinkering with that. Awesome. Yeah, that like you said, it can be a little bit. Intimidating at first, a little overwhelming, but I think once you nail those couple items down, those are the same things that I obviously have focused on too, and once you have your, your head wrapped around that, it really opens up a world of possibilities to those cameras. So one of the final things I think that's pretty important to talk about when it comes to photography is you know not just the gear, but you know once you get a deer, how do you pose that deer? How do you set up a photograph to get a, a quality hero shot or trophy shot, whatever you want to call it? Um, you know, so many people in the past, there's the dead buck in the back of a truck picture that we've seen a million times, and that's kind of um, kind of outdated, I think, in my mind. I think today a lot more people are starting to, to care about capturing these photos in a, in, a, in a way that I think respects that deer and that memory. Um, so maybe, Sean, could you tell us a little bit about your advice for, for po- properly framing and setting up and posing a deer and hunter and everything for, for a quality photo? Yeah, um, I think uh, I think it's a very very important tool to have, um, or at least something to show. And it's very respectful for for the game that you've killed. But um, 
and for like an animal, I think you should, you should definitely prop their legs up like they're bedded, basically, um, on the ground, not in the truck. And typically, <laughs> what I like to do is place them in the environment where where I shot them at, really, or have something in the background that kind of shows where I'm at, um, whether it be a mountain or in the timber or in the trees. And then lighting is extremely important. We typically always wait. If uh, if we shot something in the middle of the day, we'll wait. We'll obviously cut the animal, but we'll wait until the lighting is better um, later on in the evening. Um, and if we shot them in the dark, sometimes we'll we'll gut them and wait till the morning to take some good pictures. Um, but, yeah, you, you want to frame it up right, which is... Uh, leave a little bit of headroom for the deer and the animal at the top of your frame and then get the most, if not the entire animal, most of the animal in, in the frame as well. Um, and the hunter behind the deer and make sure that you could see all the tines. Um, that's something that I think people don't pay a lot of attention to is if some tines were cut out just based off the angle, you just got to try to find the best angle that you can. And something that I was kind of taught from the get go was, uh, either have, most of the rack above the horizon or all of the rack below the horizon. So the horizon doesn't mess with whatever you're seeing. Um, and I'm trying to think of anything else. We have, we have a, a light reflector or a light mount that we use sometimes and that helps out a lot too. So if you have light, if the, if the animal's backlit, which, which means the sun would be shining from the back of the animal towards the camera we'd use a light bounce to bounce the light back to the hunter and the animal so you have a, a really good exposure. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Can you think of anything else, Mike? Um, you know, lighting is, is huge, too. Um, like Sean was saying about the light bounce, that time of day when you shoot the photos, we uh, we always try to, um, you know, try to, try to get the best lighting that we can possible. Uh, if you're shooting during the middle of the day, late mo- late morning, early afternoon, middle of the day, this, the shadows are terrible. You know, real sunny, bright, a lot of harsh light. Um, so that's something to pay attention to too when you want if you want to get a really quality photo. Yeah, definitely. So, so is the you mentioned if the sun is backlighting the animal, you might want to use a reflector. But typically, if someone has the option of you know manipulating where he's setting up the deer and everything and where he's going to photograph, would you prefer to have the the sun over the cameraman's shoulder? No, I like it backlit, typically. Um, I can't even really give you the technological answer as to why. I'm not like I'm not like tech savvy on my photography. I just know what looks good and what I've seen. Um, I've just always known that a backlit lit subject always looks better. Um, and if if you don't have if you don't have the resources for um, a light bounce or a reflector, just expose it the best that you can. But a backlit subject typically looks the best. But anybody can afford a reflector. You can go buy a fifteen dollar, uh, what are they like a a car shade or whatever the, those are called, like a that people put in their windshield. Oh yeah. Yeah, you just keep the sun from ruining their seats. Yeah. Yeah, and you can buy those for like fifteen dollars from Walmart, and they actually work fairly well. Better than nothing. So, heck, man, you can use tinfoil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, just trust tinfoil now. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think, uh, like Sean said, he prefers, you know, to shoot stuff with the, with the light at a little bit different angles and stuff. But I think for the 
the amateur guys, the guys that are just getting started. I mean, I think shooting with the sun at their back is going to be the, the they're going to get the best results that way. You know, if you're shooting other ways, it just makes it, you know, it's a little more technical, makes it a little more difficult. Gotcha. Now for the guy that can't wait till the morning, he shot his deer, he finds it at two in the morning, he really wants to get a photo. You see so many horrible night photos. I know sometimes you guys do take, or I think you guys have sometimes taken some night photos. Do Mike, do you have any tips for someone, you know, to make the best out of a night photograph? Yeah, yeah. I, I would use headlights. Hmm. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I was gonna say, <laughs> we put them in the headlights. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, we, I actually that that North Dakota look we used. Uh, we recovered them in the dark, so we used. Um, we have bat lights, which are camera lights that we put on top of our cameras for any time we're filming at nighttime or whatever. And uh, we we happen to have three of them there. And we just moved the lights around until we thought it looked best. And that's how we took the pictures. Um, but for somebody, for someone that is going to take night pictures, I I would recommend getting as many light sources as you can and hope that the color temperatures are the same. Um, because if the color temperatures aren't the same, it's going to look kind of funny. Um it's just tough. Nighttime pictures are tough. They can look really good if lit properly, but they're 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 a little bit tough. But pretty much most of the uh, most of the the uh, point and shoot cameras nowadays that they offer have very good flashes, and I, I I would trust that pretty well. They're they're not that they don't look very bad at all, really. Anything else you'd uh, you say, Mike? Um, yeah, I mean we use. Uh... On the 5D Mark III, there's not a built-in flash. Um, and obviously, we have video lights as well. We use a cheap, just a uh, LED video uh, camera light that we you can buy on Amazon for like 30 bucks. Um, and that light is just, is really, really powerful and it works really well. So lighting is the key at nighttime if you want a good, good nighttime photo. I don't, I don't mind nighttime photos, harvest photos. It doesn't, you know, I don't, I don't shy away from it. I mean, you know, you shoot them at night and you recover them at night. You know, you got to get them taken care of. You got to get them gutted and, and butchered and all that stuff. So, uh, I don't, you know, I don't mind this at all. Uh, it, it's just any lighting is the key, like Sean said. Okay, good deal. Well, this is uh, this is some really good information. I think for anyone who's about to start their hunting season or who just has started, and hopefully will be tagging a buck here pretty soon. I think people will be able to use this advice right away to uh to capture some some pretty cool memories so this is great and we're coming up here on time so before we wrap things up dan is there anything else you would like to grill mike or sean about before we uh bring this into a close yeah i don't know if this is a touchy subject or not i know what kind of you know cameras you guys are using i think you've mentioned um have you guys made the jump to 4k yet yeah yeah um Not not one hundred percent. Some of our, I mean, we we have a team of I think eight guys, eight or nine guys, and so it's not something that we can provide everyone with. Um, but as far as uh, as far as us, we we shoot a lot of stuff with with the Red Epic, and we'll shoot in four K and stuff like that. Um, but we, and we also have FS seven hundreds with four K recorders that we don't have fully set up yet, but. Um, yeah, we we are shoot. We're starting to shoot some 4K. So, uh, so with that wanna, said, yeah, the Outdoor Channel, where what your show is on, are, they're yep. not HD yet, right? 
Right. So that is my biggest pet peeve is who do I need to talk to at the outdoor channel? Yeah, what do you mean they're not HD yet? Oh, yeah, maybe on your provider. Yeah, they're yeah, HD on, in, in the majority of in the majority of the networks. But um, so it, yeah, so then don't... it would be the provider then that is not HD for that channel. Right. Yeah. Obviously, okay. our channel has the HD feed, but the um, I, I'm not sure with all the uh, the, the technical you know specifics about that. How why they're why like uh, I, Sean has you have Directv and you don't he doesn't get it. Yeah, I have DirecTV. Is that what you have, Dan? Yeah, that's what I got. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm not sure if it's their agreement with DirecTV or how that exactly works, but it's pretty annoying. <laughs> yeah, it, I understand, and, and I have a really good TV. So, you know, switching between the Sportsman's Channel and the Outdoor Channel, there's a huge difference. And uh, I just, you know, I have to go to uh, go online to see some of your guys' how, how actually good your footage is. Yeah, and that's that's something that Mike's always kind of hounded about is um, shooting in 4K. Really doesn't matter if yeah, if, if you're not watching in HD. Right, um, right. So uh, it's, just, it's just like it's just like the HD phase. I mean, everybody uh, when HD you know first came out, everybody was kind of sl- you know slowly catching on to it, and they came out with the first couple HD cameras, the first HD TVs, and everything pricing through the roof and um, you know, but eventually it got there, and that's where we're headed. You know, the, the, it's definitely headed to 4K. You know, there's 4K TVs now. They cost you 10, 20 grand, but that's the direction it's headed, though, for sure. So it'll just be there. With, it'll be there with time. You know. Yeah. So speaking of uh, watching your shows online, I saw something about a new series you guys are launching called, I believe it's called Behind the Draw. Can you guys tell us a little bit more about what that's all about? Yeah, we uh, we partnered with Carbon TV, who is they are an online network that are uh, available online and through smart TVs, um, through Roku boxes, etc. Um, and they're really taking an aggressive uh, aggressive charge at the online market as far as the outdoor and hunting TV is concerned. Um, we partnered with them in the spring and did a did a mini series called Full Strut, and we uh, produced six or seven uh, original turkey episodes. And it was a real, real big success. So uh, we're continuing that partnership. We're coming out with a new mini series called Behind the Draw. We'll, we'll produce six or uh, six episodes that will be focused on deer hunting. So um, it'll be a real similar format to and style to our show um, in a webisode version. So it'll be a little bit shorter, um, but that should be should be really cool and really exciting. And the best part about it is it's free and it's online, so you can watch it whenever you want. That's awesome. Now, are these hunts that are going to be shown on that? on that series, are these hunts that are not going to be shown your TV show or are you going to be showing yeah. the same things, but different or. Nope. They'll be different, different hunts. So, um, hunts that have never been seen before. Very cool. Very cool. And people can find this at, is it carbon tv.com or carbon TV or what is that yeah. URL? Yep. Carbon tv.com. Awesome. And I think I saw it launches October 7th. Is that right? Yeah. The first episode premieres October 7th and it'll be weekly every Tuesday from, from then on out very cool so, so I'm not going to get any work done now <laughs> exactly that's our idea yeah <laughs> well that's awesome um, now for any of our listeners who want to learn more about Heartland Bowhunter um, get any more information about airtimes and whatnot, where can they go our website and our Facebook page are kind of the, the main places heartlandbowhunter.com and then Facebook dot com slash heartland bowhunter those 
uh, we, we do we share a lot of stuff on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, and so we're pretty active on the social media side of things. So we're on them all. Perfect. Well, I will make sure to get those links on this blog post when we launch the podcast. And I got to say, this has been awesome, guys. Thank you so much for the time, um, for sharing so much of your expertise and your advice on all these topics. I think all of our listeners got a lot out of this. And me and Dan, I know we certainly enjoyed the conversation too. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having us. All Good right. luck the rest of the season, guys. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye now. All right. All right. See all right. Well, that was a pretty awesome conversation. And I'd say we're all better prepared now to film or photograph our 2014 hunts. And I'd say we're just in time too, as so many folks will be heading out for their first hunts of the year this weekend. That said, last week we launched a little contest to help promote the podcast. And we asked you to post a short review of the podcast on Facebook or message board, and then send a screenshot of that back to us. And dozens of you did that. And wow, we really appreciate it. All of you helping spread the word this week made a big difference, and we actually made it all the way up to the number two ranked outdoors podcast on iTunes. That's a big deal. So thank you so much for your support. And we hope you'll continue to help us spread the word throughout the hunting season. It means the world. Now, though, it's time for us to announce the winner of the contest and the proud new owner of a Trophy Ridge static stabilizer, a pack of Carbon Express lighted knocks, and a Wired to Hunt hat. And that winner is... Shane Belt. Congrats, Shane, and thank you for participating. We really, really appreciate it. Now, as always, if you've been enjoying the podcast, we would greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a rating or review on iTunes. We mention it every week, but only because it means so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you who've taken the time to leave a review. Speaking of appreciation, we'd like to thank our partners who helped make this show possible. Big thanks to Sitka Gear, Trophy Ridge, Bear Archery, Redneck Blinds, Carbon Express Arrows, Huntsoft, Lacrosse Boots, Big and J Long Range Attractants, and the Whitetail Institute of North America. Finally, be sure to visit wiredtohunt.com slash episode 25 to view the show notes and links from today's episode. That said, thank you so much for being here with us today. And until next week, good luck hunting and stay wired to hunt. Mm-hmm.